And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show. Presented by RIA Advisors. Is this week over yet? Almost. Plus, we're here to give you financial fitness. I'm Rich Rosso, CFP, here with Danny Ratliff, Certified Financial Planners Squared. And we're so glad you're here. How are you this morning, sir? Doing great. You? I don't think I'm awake enough to answer that question. Let me have like two more cups of coffee and I'll get back to you. Man, I slept through my alarm this morning for like an hour. Like slept straight through it. Did you really? Man, it was brutal. <laughs> I had hey, so but, many things I was know. hoping to get done this morning. and But you know what? That's a good sleep. Because mm. when I set the alarm, I'm edgy for about three hours before it goes off, worried I'm going to sleep through it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't sleep. It was not good. But oh, well, here we are. We're going to talk about alarms later, actually, in one of our segments. I know. It's crazy, but we will. Uh, futures are down 140 on the Dow. Uh, yes, you know, obviously we're in a, what was the, what's the economic term, Danny? Squishy? Is that Part the of the word? market? Yeah, like walking in the muck. We're mucking again. I mean, you know, I think we went, we went too far, too fast. Right, we've had some violent sector rotations, thinking again, you know, spitting in Mr. Powell's face, and he's not going to like it. Mr. Cash Carey came out and said, "Listen, we are serious. We're going to continue to raise rates." I spoke to someone yesterday who owns quite a few service businesses out here, and I said, "Hey, you only have quite a few employees. Yeah, like four hundred. Give me your view on wages." He goes, they're not going down anywhere soon. Matter of fact, I've had to increase them again to keep my people. I don't see how in the service sector that wages are going to go down. So there's that wage price spiral that Powell laments about that needs to be corrected. And I don't know. How much of the hit with that blunt hammer on that nail is going to take to break it? And sooner or later, this market's going to need to understand that this issue is serious. This labor force participation rate issue is serious. The lack of labor is serious. And, and companies looking to try to keep their employees is serious. And it's going to take a lot to break it. Well, I think we somewhat knew this coming into the kind of the environment that we're in. We already had a demographic issue, but then we had the pandemic, which just right. completely changed the landscape of, of work for many people. And you're right. I mean, I've, I've talked to, we have the luxury or benefit of talking to many different people in, in different areas and, and industries and sectors and leadership. And I haven't had one person tell me that they think that they're going to be able to, to reduce yeah. wages. And, and in fact, all of them have been increasing. Visited with somebody yesterday, said, they're seeing five to six percent raises across mm -hmm. the board. I mean, cost mm -hmm. of living adjustments. They're hiring. They're having to pay more to get somebody in the door. Um, I don't know when that changes. I don't either. And the demographic issue is one thing that nobody's talking about either. No, you're going to have to pull all the workers off the onto the workforce, and and we are seeing some of that. 
But the Wall Street Journal wrote an article about a week ago talking about how the sh- it's shifting, where employers are gaining the advantage, and they've had some examples of that. But I will tell you, if that's anything, that is just the very tippy-tippy tip of the iceberg because I think a lot of businesses are not anywhere near that, and it's going to take more to break this economy for that to occur. To get that leverage that the employers want, to not give the wage increases, to keep their employees happy, there's a, there's a seminal shift after this pandemic. And I believe it's cultural, and it's deeper than even the Fed realizes, and which means that it is going to take a lot longer to break this. So this, 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 uh, this move in the beginning of the, of the year uh, we sort of watched it from afar, but we weren't going to get wrapped up into it, okay? This was this move that we saw, right? This this move into anything that has risk. Uh, Kathy Wood's been on the media circuit, right? She's the, nec- she's the next uh, NASDAQ, and that very well may be. There's all this excitement over AI and all of that. But, and again... Tech was so oversold, even Lance talked about how we were going to whipsaw some money back. Meta was way undervalued. Uh, that was the case. It was just when buyers were going to realize it. But the force of the wave into speculation and just any time the Fed comes on and says, we're going to do this, and the market bucks against it, I don't know where that comes from. You know, I almost had to burn my Marty's Zweig book. Really? Yeah, Winning on Wall Street, one of the best books ever read, right? Yeah. There's actually just, there's more than one chapter on don't fight the Fed. And I don't know why that advice would be any different now. Well, maybe, I mean, how big is the fight at this point? I mean, you know, right now they're assuming well, we're fighting that we're against see, it. But, but <laughs> we're going to see another, correct, but we're going to see another 25 basis point hike potentially in April or yeah. uh, May. You know, it's not catastrophic in that aspect but i do think they have to be watching globally you know, china had its largest inflation print since june of last mm-hmm. year so they saw that inflation reared its ugly head once again um and i'm sure that's something powell's taking note of because that has been his biggest concern to you know squat he didn't want to squash it and then all of a sudden it pops back up and then you're in this fight all over again and you know i'm i'm with them on that i don't think anybody wants that however dynamics just aren't in his favor right now yeah, so Danny, Ken Rogoff, uh, if you ever read any of Rogoff and Reinhardt's books, like This Time It's Different, one of the best books on, on, on debt, uh, he came out and said, you know, what if you, this disinflation theory is not going to work this time? What if rates do remain higher for longer? Because when he went back in history, he showed that periods of low rates were more the anomaly than the norm regardless of demographics. So he made a case in this paper that, okay, we won't see exorbitant rates. Rates will come down, but they're not going to go to where they were pre-pandemic. And he laid out his case, which I thought was, you know, again, you, if you're reading financial news or you're studying stocks um, or just investments in general, what you have to avoid is confirmation bias, right? You have to read all sides, You've got you've to get a full circle view, not just the view that, that agrees. I can find enough people that agree with me out there on the financial side. I want to read some stuff from people I respect that actually disagrees and says, wait, let, let's, let me show you history here of interest rates. And we understand this disinflation talk. But it does, what it comes down to, Danny, is maybe the Fed doesn't pivot 
as quickly as the market anticipates. Maybe it keeps rates higher. It, you know, it stops. May not rate in, may not see increases, but the actual reversal of those rates might take a lot longer. That's what Ken Rogoff was talking about in his new paper. Well, I think you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't look at both sides of the coin. Mm -hmm. You have to understand that, you know, what could happen, mm -hmm. what's probably going to happen, and then make decisions based on different types of information and understand, okay, you know, we've, we've been describing this as if, if we're in a football game, right? Everybody's really pumped. You keep hearing all the stats because everybody's betting a ton of money on a Super Bowl, right? Yeah. But if we're in a football game and we're at the line of scrimmage, we may have to be prepared to call an audible. The game plan may change in the middle of the game. And that's one thing I think that people have to be prepared for this year. And as Grumpy Cat says about the um, about the game, I hope both teams lose. When we get back, we're going to talk more about this. And, um, you know, some investors are missing out on high yields and don't know it. We'll talk about that when we get back. news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com is your partner cheating on you Financial infidelity is a relationship buzzkill and a wealth destroyer. Just in time for Valentine's Day, our next Candid Coffee will address how to avoid financial infidelity. Saturday, February 11th with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Build trust, improve your money talk, and pillow talk. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. How to avoid financial infidelity. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Investment Show. So tomorrow, tomorrow is financial infidelity. And this is an important topic. Um, the when you look at the number of couples who have cheated financially, they may not mean to, by the way, but how they spend money, one party versus the other, and how people don't communicate. This is what financial infidelity and coffee is about tomorrow. There's nothing negative about this. This is an awareness. This is not only an awareness for you and your significant other, but maybe your children. Things that they should, rules and parameters they need to set up before they get married with each other, right? You want to know each other's, <clears throat> you know, your money language, how you all connect, because it is a synergy when both of you are on the same page. So tomorrow uh, at 8 o'clock, we are going to do financial infidelity. How, and this is more about strengthening your bonds, strengthening your trust, and improve conversations about money with your partner. So sign up at realinvestmentadvice.com. That should be fun tomorrow. What, signing up? <laughs> signing up, sitting in. Signing up should be the easy part. I get to do a lunch and learn or a candy coffee about pet insurance because the costs of owning a pet is becoming a luxury to own a pet. And pet insurance is gaining in relevance 
uh, as people have to mitigate that risk. You know, you can walk. You know, as soon as you walk into the vet's office, it's a hundred bucks. By the oh, time you I walk don't think out, you it, can walk in well, for I mean, bucks. well, you walk out, it's six hundred. But when you walk in, it's a hundred. Yeah. So these are things we need to help people understand. So I'm just thinking that I'm gonna do additional homework on this process. How did we get from there to here? Because when I was growing up, and we had dogs, we had German shepherds, Belgian shepherds. I can't remember them ever going to the vet. You know, well, because and they lived in the backyard and they were healthy, you know. Well, you got to remember, pets have become the new babies. Ah. Look at what Gen Z's like. I have grandcats. <laughs> like, I don't think I'm going to ever have grandkids. Okay. So you are seeing more and more. And again, I did an article with the New York Times about five years ago about this topic. Yeah. Um, you have more and more, even boomers, right? They're empty nesters. They treat those. If there's any spoiled dog, I know I'm looking at you, Brent. I got one. Uh, Yeah. If if that little puppy needed something done. We do it. You would do it. Yeah. Not only that, the technology Mm -hmm. on how how to allow your pets to live longer, better diets, all of this stuff. Yeah. Works out very, very well. But you're right. It's like having a third kid. It really is. So some people have asked me, Rich. Here's different pet insurance, and I've been doing some of the homework and saying, you know what? You know, unless you can put X amount of money away every month, you might have to look into it. Where 10 years ago, it was too cost prohibitive. It wasn't worth it. But now, pet pet insurance, as far as not insurance, but just inflation of keeping a pet, has averaged about 12.3% a year as long as for the last 12 years. Well, maybe instead of a candid coffee, we do a canine coffee. There you go. You know? Or a feline that coffee. Sound, does that sound rough to you, Danny? <laughs> Sounds great, Rich. We cater to everybody. Two legs, four legs, ten legs. We're no, but it, but it is. I mean, we talk about it. Like, it's we, an expense. We're reviewing financial plans uh, actually this week with somebody. And uh-huh. one of the big expenses, is, so we're looking back year over year to say, hey, you spend a little bit more, more money than anticipated. And for this specific couple, and it's not the first time, Yeah, a big chunk of it was on a dog. Yes. And the dog in, ends up passing. They go get another dog. And then the expenses are like, same thing you just mentioned. I didn't realize I couldn't go to the vet for less than 150 bucks. Mm-hmm. And then you got to get the shots and boosters and you know, all the additional things that these animals need. And frankly, um, I think we in the past, you probably euthanized a pet. A lot quicker than you do today. And um, I mean, I'm not saying that as yes a bad no. thing. I'm just saying is that some people didn't have a choice, right? Where now they go, well, you have this where you can do this kind of treatment. And then you have to make this decision. Am I going to spend $6,000 because I do want my pet to be And here. it seems like that's a magic number now. Five to six. Is it? Well, yeah. if you want to keep an animal alive. Now, I told myself years ago, one of the first dogs after college, I, I went overboard, right? And I said, mm-hmm. I'm outside of my parameters here. I shouldn't have been spending that. Nor did I really increase his quality of life. It was more for me than it was for the animal. Right, because you love the Especially looking back. Sure. But, I mean, the dog had to have been miserable. Um, However, Mm -hmm. I think that's a common mistake that's made is that we we continue to, instead of letting these animals maybe pass with dignity, we continue to prop them along for ourselves. And from a financial standpoint, it can be extremely detrimental Mm-hmm. So I've seen it multiple times where you're right, Rich, it's five, six, seven thousand dollars. You're going, you know, here Gulf Coast Specialties is huge or Blue Pearl, which is kind of an animal special, right. special hospital or Texas right. A&M. Right. 
And they go spend all this money. And look, we're, we've all been guilty of this. Sure. So I'm not getting on anybody. No. But it's extremely expensive. It is in some people. And then yeah. a lot of times the animal, animal passes. Then you're buying a new animal. And all these additional costs incur. Mm -hmm. And they're like, man, I just don't know how I got so far over the budget. And we start looking back. Yes. A lot of times that is actually a very big piece of it. It is because they are members of your family. And there's this whole body of knowledge about feeding your pet. You know, we used to feed your pets gravy train. Remember the little, little chunk wagon that used to run yeah. through the kitchen? Perina dog chow. No, that's not good for dogs, really, and or cats. Oh, so, hey, Michelle wants to make our dogs food. I'm like, listen, well, that's what I do. Listen. That's what I do. My dogs, eat, my dogs have turkey meatloaf. I make all this stuff for them. It's actually cheaper. I got like 70, 80 pound dogs. You've got like no, the, two gonna, pound dogs. You're going to be cooking for, well, my dogs are more than two pounds. But to your point, yes, mm, you're going to be cooking a lot. Much. They're 15 pounds. Well, that's probably 12 pounds. you've been overcooking. They're 15 pounds now. No. Yeah. <laughs> they were not always 15 But pounds. the point is, if you want to look at a service like Fresh Pet, or some of these services, because it yeah. is, there are studies that show, listen, same with humans. If you eat better, you have, what do we tell people about health equals wealth? Well, health for my pets means less money out of my pocket over time. But some people cannot afford to do that. Um, so pets have become a luxury in many ways. So I think having a segment on pet insurance probably on a Saturday is probably not a bad idea for all I, the pet parents out there. I think oh. you'd have a lot more people sign up for something like that. I do believe that. And, and I have one client, just one, but I think it's going to be a trend in the future where in their needs, wants, and wishes, their needs, they have a pet category because it's become that much of an expense. To and your that's point, smart. I think you, maybe you have you to have do You have to isolate item. it out so you understand how much you're spending. What are you spending on? And uh, I think it should be possibly a separate category, depending upon how passionate you are about your animals. Yeah. It's not going to be for everybody, but for some, they are. That's, it works. Well, we had that expense this year. We rescued a dog <coughs> two years ago, and he, had, he was heartworm positive mm -hmm. on treatment. Never could get, get him completely healed, right? Yeah, I remember Heart, heartworm's that. Heartworm's gone. And we had to spend a ton of money on some very expensive treatment because regular treatment did not work. And he's healthy young animal other than this, mm -hmm. but it messed with his heart. I mean, there was other issues, um, potentially with his lungs. And so we spent a lot more money than we've had kind of set aside for that. Mm -hmm. Now, Mad these things pop up, yes, but something right. that you could really make a good argument for something like that in the sense of a, uh, some life or pet insurance. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you never Pet know. And, and, and out here, you got to look at it by region by region, right? These clients are in the, um, in the Northeast. But here, there's even more issues, right? Heartworm, mosquitoes, right? Every area has got some, something, some issue you're yeah. going to have to deal with that if this happens, it's going to cost more. So just, I know we're off on a tangent, but this is a big expense. So listen, this is out of uh, some help for the Wall Street Journal. And, and this is something we have been dealing with. Um, obviously... If you're a saver right now, you're like a little kid in a candy store. I Yes, I understand conservative investments don't overcome inflation. I've heard the story before. But, yes, I'm getting more on my cash. But am I? Am I getting more on my cash? So money funds have stayed so high this year, right? They're averaging about 4.18%. That's according to, according to Crane data. Um, and that's just a big increase just for sitting in money markets. But just because you're sitting in a money market at your brokerage firm, doesn't mean you're getting that yield, does it? 
No, not at all. And I think that that's really, you know, we've had internal discussions about this, mm-hmm. you know, in depth because we find that different custodians pay way more than others. And, you know, we've, I've been having this conversation a lot more as well where people are retiring, they're coming into other types of funds. Um, and you know what? We're in an environment where you don't have to go out and get overly ambitious in a lot of ways. And we can be extremely nimble. But at the end of the day as well, there's probably some not just do we want to go seek for those higher yields and safe environments, but you may want to lock some of these things in as well. Yeah, I think the word you have to look at with your brokerage firm is one, cash sweep. Mm-hmm. And if that organization owns a bank. So, for example, Morgan Stanley cash sweep program poise pays 0.01% for uninvested cash under $500,000. Okay? Bank of America and J.P. Morgan, they're all guilty of the same thing. Charles Schwab, same thing. Charles Schwab Bank, that's where the money sits. You think you're in a money market. You're in a cash sweep connected to the bank. You're earning 0.45%. In all fairness, you're making an assumption that, well, if you know, this money market's paying four, I must be getting four. No. No. When I see the words cash sweep, I need to know what I'm being swept into. And most likely you're swept into a bank account connected. And we know brick and mortar banks, for the most part, are not paying no. for your cash. They're not. They they've never paid. So you gotta go They're through not a little, paying you now. No. So you gotta go through a little more homework. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to be the cash sweep sweeper. Ooh, I like that. You're gonna have to take the money out of the cash sweep and be cognizant and maybe move it into something else on an alternative that has the same kind of liquidity. When we get back, we're gonna continue our discussion here about, well, the first day of retirement. What's it like? I'll never know. We get back here on Financial Fitness Friday. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com is your partner cheating on you Financial infidelity is a relationship buzzkill and a wealth destroyer. Just in time for Valentine's Day, our next Candid Coffee will address how to avoid financial infidelity. Saturday, February 11th with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Build trust, improve your money talk, and pillow talk. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. How to avoid financial infidelity. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Hi, this is Charlie K. Dow, and you're listening to Richard Rosso and Danny Ratcliffe on Financial Fitness Friday on The Real Investment Show. She's so cute, but I've got one bit of financial advice, life advice. Don't go into radio. Just don't. I, I, I love the radio, but let me tell you, don't go into radio. So many other things you can do, Charlie. Well, <clears throat> retirement 
a lot of when advisors talk about retirement, it's about the numbers. And that makes sense because a, f a good financial plan is a blueprint, right? It's a framework. It allows you to map out where you want to go, set your expectations, crystallize your needs, what you would like to do. Obviously, it can change depending on how far out you've done it. But for the most part, when advisors talk about retirement, it's all about the money and it's all about the numbers. And that's fine. But there is, and we talk about this, Danny, a psychological factor to it. There is a crossover from being in the workforce on a Monday and then retired on a Tuesday. There, and that's, that progression of how you feel moving in the groove of a new life cycle, that is, even though your numbers might be in great shape, you're not worried about the numbers as much anymore because you've done that homework. Now you got to do the mental hurdles to get you there. And um, I like to spend a lot of time with um, people that have that first day into retirement, that very first time they step into that new life. And some have been very philosophical about it. Um, mostly the people who have done plans because even though we're working on the numbers, they are working because, Danny, we plant those seeds. We're working on the qualitative. We explain to them the black hole of feeling a bit disoriented uh, overall. So there is that I've got this skill set. I've had this worth as human capital. Now I got to find ways to share that wisdom, ease gracefully, and perhaps use those skills for whatever th is going to float my boat and be my passion going forward. And I think that that hurdle, that transition starts with day one. So I wrote a piece about this. And um, lots of first days. What's your habits? How do your habits change compared to, say, people who retire today versus people who retired decades ago? Very different. So there were some things that I thought, hmm, this is pretty interesting. And one of them, Danny, was that the alarm clock that we just talked about, that, that some retirees still set it. It, it. It's not like a drag to get up and go for work, but it's just say, hey, I'm still busy. I still count. I want to get up at this time and do things to stay aware, right? Whether it's to get up and review some goals, you know, go through my budgets. It's just amazing that when... And, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I filled this article with some quotes, and one quote was, when the alarm goes off, it reminds me, I still count. And I think that's pretty cool. Now, again, it doesn't mean that everybody wants to set an alarm, but I thought that because I've heard so many stories, but I, that resonated with me. Because there's more to the alarm than just the buzz. It's the signif signification of, uh, the significance of what that means to get up every day at the same time and stay purposeful in what you're doing. Don't you think? No, I think that's exactly, uh, that's a really good point in the sense that many people, we talk about how they lose their sense of purpose mm -hmm. and just little small habits. I mean, you, you think about some of those motivational books that are out there. Uh, Jocko has one that's essentially, you know, make your bed. Yeah. You know, old, old Navy, yeah. ex-Navy SEAL where you yeah. know, get, up get up with a sense bed. of purpose, right. accomplish something early and your day typically goes much better. And so while we're not here for motivational talk, but... Yes, we are. Well, okay. 
Just make sure your wife is not still sleeping in the bed when you try to make it up. Or your dogs. Or your dogs. Or your dogs. I don't have that problem. Dogs or wife? Dogs. Okay. <laughs> dogs. dogs. But, you know, I think that it can even go beyond just that first day, Rich. And we encourage people to look at the qualitative yes. aspect of retirement. Look, quantitatively, everybody knows, knows their numbers. You go look at the YouTube channel. I guarantee you, every one of these guys here and ladies, you guys could know exactly what you have, what you're doing. You guys do a really good job, mm-hmm. probably better than most as far as understanding where your funds are and how you're spending them. Now, the difficult part is, is that how do we start to extract where those funds go in retirement? Because now you're doing something different. So what are those qualitative things? And how do you actually do a trial run? You know, I used to always kind of use the analogy, like my children with baseball, especially when they're really little, like t-ball. They practice, practice, practice before a game. And any anything for that matter, really. Yet we're expected to go to retirement, flip a switch, and one day, boom, we're there and we're done. Mm-hmm. I think it's difficult. And the people that we see who are most successful in retirement are the people who, generally speaking, have a pretty good idea as far as what they're going to do, have a good social network. They're not losing their sense of purpose. They're dedicating time and resources in other areas. And most of them say... I don't know how I had time to work. Yeah. But we get the other end of it, too. We see people kind of stumbling around trying to find your way. And it's unfortunate that I don't think there's enough resources out there. Like 401k retirement plans should be probably providing additional resources Mm -hmm. on top Mm -hmm. of just, you know, real basic financial plans or, you know, here's here's your number and talk about more of what goes into it. It is. It is. Um, So whether you whether you set the alarm or not. That purpose when you first wake up is is definitely a trend I've seen with new retirees. Also, the heightened sensitivity to spending. That's very powerful the first year. A lot of retirees micromanage their cash. And that feels like it, it's, it, it reduces some emotional vulnerability, right? Because now I'm going from this accumulation mindset to this distribution mindset. So I'm going to set my boundaries. I want to know where my cash goes. You know, maybe in two, three years, I'm in a groove. I don't worry about it. But what I've noticed is a lot of them go back to going to, they go back to basics, simple budgets. So one quote that I received from a new retiree was, I used to keep a simple budget like this when I worked my first job. In other words, they're using paper and pen, and they're just going through it quickly. So they go, the comment was, I go through my budget weekly on a Sunday. It takes 10 minutes. It keeps me on track. I feel better doing it. And I've noticed that new retirees want a little bit more of a hands-on approach to the spending that they're doing the very first year. And I think that's good. That, that doesn't mean that they're stressing over it, Danny. It means that they're sensitive to it. They're sensitive to their withdrawal rate. They know from us exactly how much they can spend. Where are they in alignment to that number? And then adjust accordingly. And by the time I notice year two or three, they're not really keeping a budget, although I do have some that 10 years in, they're still doing it. So the the awareness of the numbers in a simple sense, I think is what I got from this. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's what needs to be done. And that's where successful people in retirement understand that you know, how can we derail ourselves? Yeah. 
yeah. with what we do and how we manage money, we're, we're typically not going so far out on a limb that it's going to derail you from retirement. What generally will happen, and I've had more conversations this year than I have in many, is overspending. And some of it's inflationary. Some of it's just mm-hmm. life happens. But we, Some of it's we, just, yeah. man, we spent way too much. <laughs> and you listen, you're going to be in your active years, right? When you first retire, maybe if you, I think if you're 65, you're a young retiree. You probably have 10 years of active spending. And that's okay. We've built that into the plan. The other one was that goal setting was just as important. And the quote was, my goals aren't driven by a job or career anymore. They're for my family and me. So you would think that the goal setting thing would be left behind with the company's break rooms, t- terrible coffee, but it's not. So even though there are people that are new to the retirement game, they continue to establish these benchmarks. But the difference is how the goals are centered. Self-improvement, they want to maintain mental acuity, right? Family gatherings, grandchildren focused, creative efforts, cooking, painting. Some want to even, Danny, establish new businesses, invest in new ventures. So this goal setting, which you would think is, gosh, you know, I got out of college in my 20s and I'm going to go ahead and do this, continues. I think that's very cool. My grandfather retired. There are no goals. <laughs> the new retirees are setting goals and, I th- and aspirations. And I think that's also a way to overcome the mental hurdle of what we call the black hole, which is that first-year disorientation in retirement. The goals keep you anchored, but the goals are different. The goals are different, and they're set by the retiree, not by the employer not by the, the business, not by the job. They are set by what they want to do to make their lives more meaningful. And I thought that that was interesting. Yeah, I think you got to find that purpose. I mean, that's, that's going to be the big part is that where do you go from here? So when retirees come to me with this, I say, hey, listen, go to a, con- go to a website called Best Self Co. Best Self has all these great journals. Take a look. They're a little bit pricey. Um, the journals are designed for 13 weeks, keep track of things, and I've seen retirees use it for extended periods. And the quote was, it's rewarding to wrap up the day with positive notes I create. Hey, when we get back, we're going to continue on this retirement transition talk here on Financial Fitness Friday. Yay, it's Friday. Life is an illusion. Can't you see that love is everywhere? Into the confusion Can't you hear the sound that's in the air? daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com is your partner cheating on you financial infidelity is a relationship buzzkill and a wealth destroyer just in time for valentine's day our next candid coffee will address how to avoid financial infidelity saturday february 11th with richard rosso and danny ratliff build trust improve your money talk and pillow talk register today at realinvestmentadvice.com how to avoid financial infidelity candid coffee with ratliff and rosso realinvestmentadvice.com the real 
Real Investment Show. Well, the people who think on YouTube that you sound like one long commercial, one long commercial, then what the heck are we selling? Except an incredible experience in retirement from retirees who have been there and share those experiences because someday that might be you. And you don't want to make some mistakes that people have done when they retire. And the other one was, and I feel this one. I cringe at my grandparents' stories and experiences. And the quote is, he sat in the chair in front of the TV all day. And that's what my grandfather did. When he retired, he would just sit there in front of the television all day. And he was done. Well, that it's is almost so like dramatically different. Yeah, that was like today. the expectation then. I mean, life was so different. It was like your so life was ways. over. It was almost like your life is over. And would you, especially for men, my grandmother stayed out there in the community doing things, but grandpa sort of went back into the easy chair. And again, he watched some great shows because I used to watch him Six with him. Say the TV shows were better. Listen, then. Petticoat Junction, yeah. we watched that. Gunsmoke. That, that was right. We watched a lot of that. So, yeah, the TV was a lot better, but not all darn day. And that's what he did. But I bet a lot of men, listen, I bet a lot of men still do it. Because they Man, lose their sense of purpose. They, I don't, yeah, we don't watch a lot of TV. I don't know what, well, what would watch. I wouldn't I don't know what to watch. Well, what would you do? Yellowstone. How many times can I watch Yellowstone over and over again? Probably a lot. Um, but, I mean, <laughs> to your point, yes, it's so different. So what I have found, and I asked this question, so how do you do it? And they said, well, I don't want to allow the days to roll over into each other. A weekend's going to feel like a weekend. The rest of the week, I'm going to have a schedule. Right? I'm going to create these boundaries. I don't want this thought of days bleeding together. I don't want this indistinguishable kind of, oh, it's Saturday? Oh, it's Sunday? Every day feels the same to me. The quote is, now that I'm retired, I'll never say that I don't know what day it is or that Saturday and Sunday feel like any other day because they are saying productive. They're staying productive, so they feel that weekend feeling because they're they're not sitting in front of the television all week or doing the same thing. The days aren't rolling and the hours aren't rolling into each other. You know, when we, when we had that little bit of that break with the um, pandemic, mm -hmm. I was disoriented. I didn't like it. I don't like, how do people sit here all day and just do nothing? You know, when there were things that we, you know, we were working and staying active. So but Rich, tell us what you were really doing. But during the weekend. <laughs> Hold on now. I'm thinking, man, I was working my tail off and yeah, but on a Saturday and Sunday. He's trying to find stuff to do. Well, Saturday and Sunday, what were you doing? Working. Okay. Yeah, okay. But nothing else. There was no, I mean. Oh, well, we were still active. I mean. Well, yeah. You have, we were. But you have a family, right? You were doing yeah. things, right? How many people, because look at what the savings rate did during the pandemic. It skyrocketed. Yeah. People didn't do anything. That's why we see this revenge travel, revenge spending. YOLO. Right? YOLO. Right. Well, and but it wasn't only that. I mean, people did have a lot more money, accessibility to money. People stim were getting stimulus checks, mm -hmm. um, you know, federal unemployment, state unemployment. You had a lot of money coming into many people. And 
but you couldn't really go out. Yes, you can, you know, you, we talked to clients over the phone, but you could you didn't meet with them, you couldn't go out and be social, Correct. you couldn't do all this stuff that I was like you were sort of holed up in the house. Even though you're working, you're you got the same environment in front of you all the time. That's did, I didn't like that at all. So, um, you have a lot of retirees that feel the same way. They don't want to do it. And I, I totally think that's what's going to keep them living longer, living healthier and younger, and they're more engaged with their grandkids and activities. And I, I can't speak. That's, that's just great. That's just great. So the other one is um, I still have a wish list, and that goes into their plan as well, right? I have a light and I have a heavy list. I have big wishes that I want to do, and I still, I still have these, these, these cool things I want to get done. Some people call it bucket list. I, I'm not a big fan of the term, right? Because I know a lot of stuff that goes into a bucket. It's not pleasant. Uh, <coughs> but, I mean, <laughs> there was this one time on a farm. I'm not going to talk about it. Um, so what I'm saying is there's hope. There's hope. There's not this I'm done. I'm insignificant. I read this whole article the other day about how when a men over a certain age become invisible. And it has nothing to do with attracting women or anything. That has to do with they feel like they lose their ability to be productive. No one wants to hear what they have to say. You know, you're Grandpa Simpson now. Nobody wants, you know, they laugh at you. And men, even though that may not be true, men seem to feel that way in this study. Well, I think some of it may just be a diminished capacity for things you used to be able to mm -hmm. do and accomplish that maybe you're beginning to see that things are slowing down in some ways. But, man... I don't know, Rich. I'm, I, I, we visit with so many people that, I mean, shoot, I have some clients that are in their 80s and early 90s that are probably just as active as I am, I, if not more. I envy them for that. I mean, and, and I pray and that sharp. I have a similar type of retirement and have that mental capacity like they do. But, man, they are it sharp. Is, they are sharp. But it's not just that. It's, yeah. And I think a lot of it is because they remain active. Mm -hmm. They still go work out. They still travel. They go... They see friends. They try to go, you know, play golf or they go uh, yeah. whatever it may be, right? Go for long walks. Listen, it's do you see what's going on in the villages? The loofah code? You know the villages. No, I, I don't know what you're oh. referring to. Well, you want to hear it? Is this that village that it takes? No. Maybe, maybe not. It, I don't no, know. You probably I'm don't. Pretty sure you're going to tell us anyways? The villages. I have clients that live in the villages in Florida. These oh, are planned okay. communities, and uh, they have all these activities. What's it, Del? What's his yeah, name? Del Webb. Del Webb. Del Webb. And and I have clients that go. Do you ever leave? No, they got everything. They got restaurants and all that, right? Mm. Fifty-five plus, but people are living their best lives, playing tennis and all that. But now, there's this weird loofah code. A loofah. Yeah, loofah. Colored loofahs that you hang on your antenna on your car. I've seen that. Mm-hmm. <coughs> <laughs> you know, is this like the upside down upside down pineapple? Yes. Yes. I had. I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't either, and neither did my girlfriend, who <laughs> had to find out the weird way about this thing. And I, I didn't, and I told her, uh, "Honey, you can't do weird that because that, yeah, no." But this loofa code is, you know, hi, we're we're into other things. Hi, I'm I'm shy, but I'm trying. I mean, there's all these colors. So listen, there's how do you know about this? <laughs> now we know where he, where he spends his free time at the villages. 
It's a whole new definition. I read it he about just it. drives up and down the street with the loop on his antenna. I read it in the New York Post, antenna. but what I'm saying is uh-huh. what I found. Yeah. Funny. Yeah, it was in the New York Post. I have the you. If you want the codes, I'll send oh, them to you. Oh, man. <laughs> so you can hang them on your bedroom no, door. Color-coded. Yeah, they're all color-coded. Yeah, right? yeah. That's a whole new meaning to the village people. So someone asked me, what's your code? What's your color? Ah. And I said green. Ah. They go, green? What does that mean? Stay off my lawn. <laughs> That's what green means. But um, I'm, what I'm saying is it was very embarrassing to read it. Like, what is going on with these people? They're staying active and in control. <clears throat> so read about it in the New York Post. Lufa, the villages. All right. Next. And we go through this, Danny. We see this with a lot of retirees. I want to cleanse. I want to clean up. I want to clean out. I'm going into the garage. I have one client. So funny. He goes, see that garage? I'm going in. If I don't come up by noon, call 911. <laughs> so this reducing clutter, this organizing, this purging unnecessary items, and then maybe eventually downsizing creates this great satisfaction, Danny. Not hoarding. Right, going through all that junk, cleaning it out. I don't need all this stuff. And then I realized, client said, I don't need this big roof to keep all this stuff under. So that clean out is also a mark of the transition and I'm getting rid of all this unwanted junk. We were laying in bed last night having that conversation like, man. Really? With all the stuff? Just we got stuff, (laughs) lots of stuff. But in both, I mean, it's just kids stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, sure. some of it's a necessity and some of it, and, and I think we do a pretty good job of not going overboard. Like our kids, compared to their friends, are probably feel like they're, you know, they're famished in some ways um, because we don't have all those additional things, right? Um, but famished we still feel like we're like, man. Little house on the prairie. Yeah. Famished for pound puppies. I could go with kids the sell the house and. Kids well, live in listen, a toy desert. How we could live versus how the other halves can live. Very different. Yeah. She claims she's she can live on a much smaller footprint than me. And that's probably true just because I do have a lot of different hobbies. And so, you know, like after I blew my knee out, she said, the garage is a very sad museum of things you used to be able to do. <laughs> sad. <laughs> I'm going to get him for his birthday. Yeah. I'm going to get a banner. Sad museum. The sad museum. With yeah. the big... Sm- not sad. so sad anymore. We're, we're back on. Ratliff's Sad Saddle. Museum. Well, he's got a Mustang in there that he had. Does it run? Day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's nothing sad about that. It, nope. Well, it never runs out of the garage, though. <laughs> Not often <laughs> enough, that's for sure. Not so. often enough. But this decluttering and downsizing is a big deal. And I think it makes a lot of sense. How much stuff do I really need? Yes, I, want, I have room for my grandkids and they have stuff over. But me, I want the experiences. And I want, and that's where there's a similarity between retirees and younger people who say, I don't need stuff. I want more experiences. So that, that's important. Um, oh, gosh. Well, that was it. I guess our commercial is over. Danny? Hey, tomorrow, financial infidelity. The most important part of what we talk about with clients and with people like you on the radio is there's more to the numbers than the numbers. There's stuff behind the numbers. And your advisor gets has to know what goes on behind your numbers. Very important. Nothing about loofahs, though. Stay out of that conversation. Lance back on Monday. 
going to be a nice weekend. Hope you all enjoy it. Take a deep breath. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us tonight. We appreciate it.